This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What fuels sex trafficking, specifically child sex trafficking? The answer is pornography. Yes, all forms of pornography, even what is sometimes referred to as so-called ethical pornography. Pornography is fueling the sex trafficking and child sex trafficking industry. Today, my guest, Benji Nolt, is the author of Raised on Porn, How Porn is Affecting Our Lives and What we can do about it. He is the head of Exodus Cry, which is an international nonprofit organization that works to uproot trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation. It has mobilized millions of people to fight against this. And so he's going to talk to us not just about how pornography is fueling the sex trafficking industry and is also wrecking people's relationships, their sex lives, um, but also how the church isn't really stepping up how we should step up when it comes to fostering and talking about healthy sex and sexual relationships. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Benji, thanks so much for joining us again. And though most people probably already know in this audience, can you just tell those who may not know who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm the CEO and founder of Exodus Cry. We're an organization that fights human trafficking. And uh, we were founded in 2007. So we've been at this for about 16 years. And you obviously don't just talk about trafficking which I think most people agree is egregious. They want that to end. But you talk about what is upstream from trafficking, which is pornography, which is unfortunately a more culturally contentious topic. There are people who would say that they're against trafficking, of course, they're against sexual assaults, but they draw the line at porn. They don't think that porn is that big of a deal. Um, tell us about the connections that you guys draw between consumption and production of pornography and then global sex trafficking. Sure. So the larger global commercial sex industry is entirely a system of um, exploitation, violence, and gender inequality. So when we think about the larger global commercial sex industry, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about stripping, I'm thinking about pornography, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about um, all forms of prostitution, and then trafficking is sex trafficking is a part of what happens in that larger system. Mm -hmm. So some people in our culture would say that the, the sex industry is a system of female liberation, sexual empowerment, um, and, and those kind of ideas. And, uh, but in our analysis over 15, 16 plus years, um, we view this larger global commercial sex industry, as I said, as a system of violence, exploitation, and gender inequality. Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about people who are in the commercial sex industry, we're talking about 98% uh, women and children, and then, uh, and then we're talking about 99% um, of the people buying are men. Mm -hmm. So the entire 
global commercial sex industry exists as a result of male demand. So it is quite literally a construct of male demand. And is one of the, one of the last strongholds of, uh, and yokes of oppression that are holding women hostage on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, uh, in our investigation of sex trafficking, um, I traveled across four continents, um, 19 countries and 42 cities over four years making a documentary and uh, began to see the way in which pornography was overlapping with sex trafficking in five specific ways. And um, and so from that investigation uh, developed a conviction that we needed to address the porn industry specifically. And mm-hmm. so in 2012, made a conscious decision to do that and um, and then did an eight-year investigation of the porn industry that has resulted in numerous documentaries, a book I just released. And um, and so the subject of pornography is something that I think we really need to talk about yeah. as a culture right now because, again, it's cast under this cover narrative that says, you know, this is just about consenting adults, um, you know, bringing some arousal to their sexuality and um and you know erotica mm-hmm. um as a way to kind of en- enhance their sexual experiences uh but but people aren't seeing the deeper truth of what is actually what pornography actually is yeah how it's created and its impact on us as individuals in the society and so i think there's a lot to frame around yeah. that conversation Okay, time to tell y'all about Adele Natural Cosmetics, one of my favorite sponsors because they're one of my favorite companies. They are a toxin-free cosmetic and skincare company. I use their products every day. I love their everyday facial cleanser. I love their Blue Lagoon line. They also have a diaper cream that works incredibly well. That's because all of the ingredients are natural. They're holistic. They make them uh, in small batches themselves. All the products are made in the U.S. and they're a Christian pro-life family-run company so you can feel really good about spending your dollars here. Plus, it's great for your skin. Go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Use promo code Allie for 25% off your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com, code Allie. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com, code Allie. Those who kind of defend pornography, maybe it's something totally separate from trafficking or even coercion. They would say, look, of course coercion is bad. Of course using children, they might say, is bad. But most people aren't consuming that kind of stuff. If it's consensual, if it's between two consensual adults, there's nothing wrong with that. And so they'll Mm -hmm. click on Pornhub, they'll click on OnlyFans, They'll say sex work is work, whatever the mantra is, um, and they will defend pornography in that way. But what you're saying is that it's all part of a system that then lends itself to the perpetuation of the trafficking of victims. Like, can you talk about why that kind of narrative is false that, well, most pornography is just between two consenting adults. So what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's like several things that you have to sort of like be okay with or, or sign on for if you're going to 
be a pornography consumer or if you're going to recommend pornography to other people. So the first is that just kind of fundamentally, you have to buy into the idea of sexual voyeurism as a way to enhance um, our relationships and as a way to enhance, uh, um, yeah, just like our sexual lives. And so, um, so when you think about it, the way that our planet has been hardwired with uh, the internet, pornography is ubiquitous now. And so in a way, we are all living in proximity uh, consciously to this large global sexual orgy. Mm. And it's almost unavoidable. And at, at the very least, it affects our psyche and our, and our collective conscience. And, um, and so there's a question of, you know, is that aspect of um, interacting and engaging our sexuality around observing other people having sex beneficial to us and our relationships and our children. And so in one scenario, you know, you could say, would we, would we, we take our children to parks, we take them to zoos, petting zoos. Would we take our children to an orgy and sit them to, to observe this, mm-hmm. you know, large orgy of people having sex? So what, what would people answer to that? Would you take your spouse to an orgy to go watch. So uh, at some level you have to, you have to wrestle with that. Then, then you have to wrestle with the idea that you don't know who is in these videos. You don't know how that content is being created. Even some of the biggest performers in the industry have later come out to say how they were coerced, they were trafficked, all these different things. I had one uh, of the largest contract um, porn performers I sat down to interview her. The first thing she said to me is, I've never told this to anybody, but I'm going to say it, tell it to you, and I don't even know why. And she began to tell me her whole story of how she was trafficked into porn. Now, this person was held up as the contract star, you know, the true embodiment of what it means to be a porn star. Um, I have been, I've had the person who is called the queen of porn, the most successful porn performer of all time, reach out to me personally. Um to cheer on our efforts to expose what pornography is. Uh, people don't understand the human rights implications of porn, how this is being created, the impact of it on performers. So there's a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to say that you have to be okay. You have to say in your heart, uh, I'm okay that I don't know who you are, how you ended up in that video, how it was made, where you came from. I'm actually okay with observing these orgies as part of the way to my enhance my sexuality. Um, you have to begin to sign off on a number of things that for me create a lot of internal conflict. Yeah. I go, yeah, I don't know if that's how I want to yeah. cultivate sexuality. Well, there's no way to know that every part of a pornographic scene or picture, whatever it is that you're viewing, was consensual. There's no way for you to know that. You can assume that it was consensual, but there's no way to know that every single part of that had nothing to do with manipulation or coercion and that that person wasn't forced um, to do that. That's one part of it. The second thing is that I'm sure that you agree that this whole, like, flimsy setup of consent-based morality, this idea that's really a progressive idea that 
the consent that consent is the only thing that has to exist to make something moral. Even if right. two people are consenting to something and you're watching a consensual sexual act between two people, it's still objectification. And there is something wrong and immoral about objectification. All pornography is objectification because you don't have a relationship with that person. You don't have any emotional or spiritual tie to them. Therefore, there really is no other option except for viewing that person as only an object, a vessel of pleasure. And that's not what human beings right. are. And you guys right. talk about this, you've talked about this a lot, how viewing someone as a sexual object, which is absolutely inevitable if you're viewing pornography, always carries over into how people view real life, you know, three-dimensional humans, how they treat their spouses, how they treat their friends, how they treat the people that they go on dates with. It's really difficult for our mind to separate our like pornography brain from our real life brain. The pornography brain ends up in one way or another taking over how we view people in real life. And obviously, like we don't even have to detail all the consequences of viewing someone not as a human being, not as an image bearer of God, not as someone with a soul and a autonomy and a personality and all of that, but just as an object. You can justify not just sexually using them, but violence against them, um, emotionally abusing them because you don't see them as real people worthy of dignity and respect. That's just one consequence of viewing pornography, whether the porn is consensual or not. Okay, y'all, I'm so excited to tell you about Holy Pals. This is a Christian family business that makes kids pajamas with cute artistic renderings of particular Bible stories on them. So for example, we've got the Easter Holy Pals pajamas and they have the empty tomb on there, the angel on there, really, really cute depictions of these biblical stories. They've got their Christmas print out right now, all different kinds. We've got David and Goliath. I mean, such a cute way to literally wrap your kids in the word of God and to teach them about the gospel through the cute patterns that they're wearing on their pajamas. So check them out. You can go to holypals.com or you can check them out on Instagram, Inc. is their handle. If you use code Allie, A-L-L-I, E at checkout, you will get a discount on your order. So go to holypals.com, use code Allie for that discount. Holypals.com, code Allie. Okay, so a couple of things. First, I want to just hit this the, the first point that you mentioned. Um, when we talk about the idea of coercion in the realm of pornography, we're not talking about um, a few anomalies on kind of the fringes of pornography. What I'm talking about is the mainstream above board porn industry operates in such a way that coercion is a part of the backdrop and the landscape for how the vast majority of porn is being produced. Now go into amateur porn. Pornhub's biggest partner channel, Girls Do Porn, has now been indicted and convicted of numerous counts, dozens of counts of sex trafficking. So it was an entire trafficking operation that was their mainstream partner channel and the most popular porn channel out there. And so what we're talking about is, you know, the 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 idea that there are you know two consenting adults engaging in ethical porn is really 
the exception or the anomaly. Um, and so I just wanted just to say that, just to, to clarify that point. But, you know, if you think this through, so for the person that's recommending this, I mean, what is that scenario? Like you're in your room with your spouse or your partner, and then what, what do you do? You say, hey, you know, I have an appetite for other, or, you know, other orientations in my sexuality. Would you mind excusing me from the room for a few minutes while I jump on Pornhub? And the person gets out their lotion. They do, you know, they get themselves ready for whatever encounter. That, I mean, how does that actually mm-hmm. become a part of your relationship? Right. Um, so now you're on Pornhub. And well, now we know this is a site. And, and I mean, this X videos, name the site. We know Pornhub is a site that is infested with videos of real trafficking, sexual abuse, rape, on and on and on and on. Child sexual and so, abuse is rampant. Child sexual abuse. So now you're on that site and now you're, you're, you are rationalized, you are engaging in um, rationalizing, justifying um, cognitive dissonance uh, in order to sort of prop up a cover narrative that takes you off the hook from the inner conflict of I don't know who, where, what, in order to uh, get an erection and um, and then you know masturbate to these images and then and then knit your sexuality yeah. to a computer screen yeah. and to the objectified people who are behind that screen again whose stories that that you don't know. So when we talk about the idea of consent. You know, I mean, even that is such a flimsy notion in in the sex industry. I mean, consent can, there's so many shades of gray in consent, the way that it's presented as this is very black and white. There are people who consent and there are people who don't consent. No, there's many shades of gray in consent. Mm -hmm. Consent can be forced. Consent can be manipulated. Consent can be bribed. So there are a lot of ways to, uh, you know, and and the idea behind the making of, of porn is to get somebody to consent, right? So yeah. there's already inherently a manipulative aspect to it. Yeah. Because if I can get them to sign the form, then I can do whatever I want to them. So, but the what you're describing as like this, this objectification of, uh, you know, individuals, predominantly women and um, children's bodies, um, what we're talking about, the way that you get there is um is it okay if i speak to that for just a second or did you want to jump in no go for it okay so um it is the way the porn industry has created this universe let's call it the porn universe and um and when you access that universe you are not you are accessing it through the avatar of either the male or the female and the porn producers have been very calculating in the way that they uh, the, the way that they draft the male character, the male avatar, and the way that they draft the female character and the female avatar. So the first thing is both both of these people, the porn man and the porn woman in the porn universe, are completely stripped of their humanity. The porn man has no empathy. He is simply a life support system for his erection. So he is there to subjugate, degrade, humiliate the woman. He is there to exercise power over her, to uh, penetrate her, and ultimately to um, humiliate her. So that is, that is in the vast majority of, of pornography, 
casts the porn man into that role. Hmm. So as a man, as I'm internalizing that in my engaging this world and my sexuality, you can't come away from that without it affecting your psyche. Now, the woman in this world is also stripped of her humanity mm-hmm. because she just has no preferences of anything. She's just a hollow shell to be penetrated. She does not exist. She has no no desires of her own, no history, no preferences. I mean, her only desire is to is to satisfy every advance of the hyper-aggressive dominant male who is there to punish her, subjugate her, and humiliate her. Mm. And so she also is stripped of her humanity. So now I'm viewing her as the object to be acted upon. I will Mm -hmm. choke her, I will penetrate her, and ultimately I will, I don't want it to get too graphic, but it's not a pretty picture uh, in terms of, you know, let's say if the idea is that I'm enhance, if one is going to enhance their sexuality, this is more of a train wreck than anything. Yeah. Um, but in this scenario, here's, here's the point that I want to get to is this is a very, uh, I, you know, I think there are, uh, positive and I, I don't want to trigger people with this comment, uh, or, or make this a toxic conversation because I know how, how controversial the subject is. This is a very patriarchal mindset mm-hmm. um, from the standpoint of, I would let's just say, the dark side of patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, the idea that the woman is a receptacle, that she's a yeah. sponge, that she is a retainer for and a soother of the offloaded sexuality of men. Yeah. So... So in this dark patriarchal mindset, women exist as receptacles and sponges and containers for men's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. internal existential psychic offloaded perversion, rage, hopelessness, alienation, reject feelings of rejection, um, and all manner of sexual uh, energy. So she's meant to contain that so now this some people would say well that sounds really intense that's an intense picture but again surely that's just kind of the fringe no the main line evangelical teaching in most christian books on sex view view women as the sponge to absorb men's sexuality and marriage so that they don't watch porn that that is how they're cast it is you, the idea is that is preached to women is you will have sex essentially whenever he wants so that he doesn't go to porn. So it's this idea that men are these mindless, conscienceless, roving sexual beasts who, like I said before, are basically just a support system for their erection and have no control over themselves. And therefore, it's the woman's job to satisfy his sexuality so he doesn't go to porn. This is a, this is absolutely, uh, mainline evangelical teaching through most book, uh, mm. Christian books on sex. Now, I, so, will say, I, so I will say that I, I do think that that teaching exists. I don't know, and I truly mean that I don't know. I don't know that that is the mainstream teaching today that, hey, women, if your husband does turn to porn or does commit adultery, it's because you weren't having sex with him enough. That's, I mean, that, I mean, I'm an evangelical. Now, when you say mainline, mainline typically means like the liberal evangelical church. But if you mean mainstream, I'm I, maybe I, I do see some of that certainly in maybe like the 80s and 90s. Um, kind of, you know, purity talks. I 
don't see that as the mainstream teaching in the evangelical church today. In fact, there's a lot of berating of men, that men, you need to get it together. In fact, Jesus specifically addresses men when he says, look, it's not enough to not commit adultery. If you look at a woman lustfully, you have already uh, committed adultery with her in your heart. And so I agree that that teaching exists somewhere. I, I would maybe push back on the idea like that that is what all evangelical women are taught as someone who was okay. in the Southern Baptist Convention her whole life. That's not that's not what I was taught. Okay. So uh, so the, there's a lady named Sheila Gregor that wrote yeah. a book called The Great Sex Rescue. So she did a research project of 20,000 women to ask their, you know, their experience of sex and marriage. And as also part of her research, did a deep research study on all the best-selling Christian books and sort of the uh, and and kind of like pulled out of it this consistent message with examples and quotes and it, again I don't want to go into specific books and individuals but it it is across the mainstream of all the best-selling Christian books that consistently have this idea that it is the woman's job to satisfy the man's sexuality this is this is the key so that he doesn't go to porn. And, um, and that is a, again, that, that is a very objectified, uh, view of women. Yeah. And again, yeah. casts women as this receptacle sponge. So what we see in the secular culture at large is extremely troubling, but it's, it, you know, it's also going on in the evangelical church. Yeah. That's what's part of our space really difficult to navigate. Because it's not that the conservative Christian church has it all right, and the secular liberal world over here has it all wrong. It's There are threads of this that run across all of it, and it's very disturbing. And so I, I just feel this, because our work is so focused on this issue, to step back and be objective about, hey, how do these issues pertaining to pornography and sexuality um, affect all of us. And I, I do think it's time for us as a culture to do an inventory for the way in which our sexuality has really gotten off course as a result of porn's impact on us. Okay, guys, we are always looking for different ways to support the pro-life cause, to put our money where our mouth is so that we're not just trying to persuade people that abortion is wrong, but also to persuade women to choose life. And we do that by providing different resources for them to make it as easy as possible for them to see the dignity of the child inside their womb and also to provide resources for them to make that choice easier. And one way we can save lives, we know for sure, is by providing providing free sonograms to women. When women get a sonogram, they hear that heartbeat, they see that baby for the first time, they're far more likely to choose life for their babies. Preborn makes that possible. Preborn is an amazing network of clinics. They provide these free sonograms for women and it costs $28 to provide this sonogram. So if you go to preborn.com slash Allie, you can donate $28. You'll be donating a life-saving sonogram to a woman and her baby. Go to preborn.com slash Allie. Donate what you can. $28 is great. If you can do more, that's awesome too. Preborn.com slash Allie. Preborn.com slash Allie. Well, I think that 
we obviously agree that whether it is a mainstream teaching in the church or whether it's a fringe teaching, it doesn't matter where it exists. It's wrong. This idea that women are responsible for preventing men's lusts or men's wandering eyes or their adultery or their consumption of pornography and that they have to be the perfect recipients of all of his sexual advances in order to kind of like stave off the darker parts of his appetite. That is wrong. That is wrong. So wherever that teaching exists, you and I agree that that is a problem that I do do think fuels the kind of ugliness that we see perpetuated through pornography. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I just, what I take exception to, so what I take exception to is the idea that you pointed out that uh, women, it's women's job to um, sort of solve the problem of men's lust. There is, you know, I'm just like, what about (laughs) self-control? I mean, isn't that like part of the way that we should be expected to kind of manage our own lives? Like, uh, so the idea that you have a desire for something is not the reason to follow through on it. And I just, I, I just think that because of how ubiquitous porn has become in our culture, it, it just, it necessitates, um, a, a deeper, um, processing of what this is, like I said before, like taking an inventory for what porn is, its impact on us, how it's affecting our relationships to be thoughtful about this. And, um, but I think part of the problem is because it's been so normalized that it just seems like it's become part of kind of an accepted aspect of our sexual lives. In my view, sex is a very powerful, um, meaningful, mysterious, sacred part of the human experience that has the potential and the capacity to bond two people in a, in a deep, committed way, has the potential to create life. So there is something inherently powerful and beautiful mm-hmm. about sex. And so my view is that by virtue of that, it deserves respect, it deserves reverence, that we approach it with a measure of sobriety. And I, when I look out across our culture, I can't think of anything that has hijacked and derailed more people's lives, both in and out of the church, than the issue of um, a compromised sexuality. And yeah. um, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, 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 withhold, I'm, I'm tempted to start citing, rattling off examples because this is a big problem in the church. Um, and it, and I, I have a lot of energy on that because, you know, we as people of faith are um, part of our way of being in the world is trying to uphold an ethical standard for what it looks like to, to reverence our sexuality. And yet we have been some of the greatest offenders of not only in engaging in sexually fraudulent behavior, yeah. but then perpetuating that through cover-ups and all kinds of things in large segments of both the evangelical and Catholic church. Okay, guys, another sponsor and an opportunity to tell you about an amazing company, an amazing service for small business owners, and that is Bambi. So you did not start your business because you wanted to be an HR manager. You didn't want to deal all day with onboarding and terminations and compliance and all the things that come with 
having employees. That's not why you started the company that you have. And yet you can't ignore these things because they will crush your business if you let them go by the wayside. So you need an HR manager. But maybe you can't afford at this point to pay a full-time person seventy-five dollars to $85,000 a year. So what do you do? You sign up for Bambi. With Bambi, you get a dedicated virtual HR manager that will handle all that stuff. They'll handle all of the employee issues. They'll do the onboarding. They'll do the terminations. And they'll do the compliance to make sure that your business is complying with all the changing HR regulations that are out there. And they're available via phone real-time chat. This is a United States-based person. And this is the best part. It's all for $99 a month. So $99 a month for this virtual HR manager versus like $80,000 a year for a full-time HR manager. If you're a small business owner, like this is an absolute no-brainer. And this is an investment that $99 a month that you absolutely want to make to keep your business not just surviving, but thriving. So go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com. Type in Relatable under podcast. That'll really help the show. Go to Bambi.com, type in Relatable. Bambi.com, type in Relatable. All right, that was part one of our conversation with Benji Nolot. And tomorrow we're going to talk about a few different things, but we are specifically going to respond to a conservative radio host, someone that I am a big fan of, uh, Dennis Prager, basically saying that there's nothing wrong or immoral about looking at pornography. You can imagine my thoughts on it, but Benji's thoughts are really interesting. So we'll talk about that and much more in part two of this episode, which will come out tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening and watching. 